0: Proverbs chapter two, continuing in our series called Generous, Generous. Proverbs chapter 22, verse nine, it says this, he who has a generous eye, you say, what is a generous eye? I'm glad you asked. We'll talk about it. He who has a generous eye, come on, will y'all say this with me, will be blessed. He who has a generous eye, come on, say it with me one more time, will be blessed. Where he gives of his bread to the poor. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, open every ear, open up every heart, open up every mind to receive of your word. Change us and challenge us tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, avoid the temptation to open it, okay? You already did. Well, okay. Avoid it now, all right? Don't look in it. We'll get to it, I promise. Uh, how many of y'all have heard the saying, they have an eye for this or or they have an eye for that? You know, Um, Maybe tonight, you know, if we had a camera and we put it in two people's hands and, and one person could have all the knowledge in the world, both of them could have all the knowledge in the world about, you know, ISO and shutter speed and, and all the things that it takes to take a really good picture, but sometimes people just don't have the eye. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you can see one picture and you can see another picture and you'd be like, oh, that's it. And some people, when you say they have an eye for photography, it's just kind of this like unspoken thing that, man, when you put a camera in their hand, they get the right angle. They know how to just shoot it right to when you see it, it, it tells the story. That's one of the things I love about about Instagram is you go on and you can, you know, we post these pictures on Monday because what we're doing on Monday is we're telling the story of what happened on Sunday night. And so we need photographers that have good eyes that will take pictures of people being prayed for in the altars or the spirit of God that moves in this, in this place. And what we want to do is every Monday, we want to, you know, if you weren't here, we want to make you mad that you weren't here. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to just make you look at the picture and be a little jealous, like, ah, I should have been there last night. Okay. That joke didn't land either. That's all right. I, a few jokes that uh, we're going to have to vet next time, Shannon. We, we'll uh, we'll do a little joke session, me and you. All right. Um, but the same can be said about this, about about men and design. Come on, ladies, say amen. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've given up on trying to decorate my house. I don't know about y'all, but I've given up on trying to decorate my house. My wife does this professionally for a living. So I've just come to the place where I'm like, why am I even trying to Why am I trying to control this or have any say in a a couch? or? I'm like, I've given it over to her because she does such an incredible job. Or men, how about picking out your own outfits? Some guys like to say you have an eye for fashion. I say you should probably just leave it up to your wife at this point. But did you know that you can have an eye for generosity? You can have an eye for generosity. And and tonight what I want to do is I want to walk through some scriptures And I want to show you what having an eye for generosity actually looks like. Because having an eye for generosity looks like this. It's constantly asking this question, God, who can I bless? Come on, somebody say amen to that. What do I have in my life that you can use to make a difference in someone else's life? How can I bless my church to further your kingdom? When you have a generous eye, scripture says this, you will be blessed. And that's the thing that I love about the Bible is that there's principles that exist in the Bible that are undeniable. And we talked about it last week. It's this principle of sowing and reaping, that if you sow judgment, what do you reap? judgment. If you sow condemnation, what do you reap? Condemnation. If you're sowing in the flesh and of a sinful nature, guess what you're reaping of? Of the flesh and of a sinful nature. There is this principle of sowing and reaping. And Proverbs 22:9 9, again, it drives this point home that he who has a generous eye that's constantly looking for, how can I be generous? They will what? They will be blessed. That ought to get somebody excited tonight. I love the way that Luke 6, 38, and we looked at it last week, it says, give and it what? Will, not might, not possibly, give and it will be given to you. You know, I think about it this way. If I were to have uh, an apple seed and I were to take that apple seed and I were to plant it in the ground, what am I going to get back? Apples. That was easy. It wasn't a trick question. If I plant it in the ground, what am I getting back? I'm getting back apples. But am I getting back just one apple? No, I'm getting down, a, uh, uh, getting back a blessing that is what? Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If I take one apple seed and plant it in the ground, it's going to grow into a tree that's going to continue to produce fruit for me in the future. And can I tell you, it's the same way that as we sow into the kingdom of God, we're sowing into things that are going to uh, pour back into our life. When you give, it will be given back To you, it is an undeniable principle. And see, here's the thing Satan hates that he can't stop the blessings of God. Listen to me. Satan cannot do anything to stop the blessing of God. If you sow, guess what? You reap. Why? Because it is a principle of Scripture. If you sow, you will reap. And there's nothing that Satan can do to stop it, because it's a biblical principle. So then what Satan wants to do, if he can't stop the blessing of God, is he wants to distort our view of the blessing that God has put on our life. I'm going to teach for you to you for just a little bit tonight, but what Satan wants to do is distort that relationship with the blessings of God. That means he'll try to cause us to have an unhealthy re- relationship with the blessing versus our relationship with God. In other words, it becomes about what we can get from his hand rather than what we can get from his heart. It becomes more about what he can do for us than just getting to know who he is. And so he wants to come in our life and he wants to make it more about the blessing. Can I say it this way? He wants to make it more about the blessing than the blesser. And when we get this distorted view of God's blessing and sowing and reaping, it can mess with our heart. It can mess with our mind. And what we have to do is we have to overcome some of these wrong attitudes and mindsets. And I want to talk about two in particular tonight that I feel like we have to overcome. The first wrong response that we have to the blessings of God is pride. Come on, if you're taking notes, somebody write down pride. Because this is what happens. We give, we sow. God blesses us, and then what do we do? We take credit for it. Ever been there? We sow, we give, God begins to pour out his blessing on our life, and we begin to look around and think, oh, it's something that I've done. I've earned this. I deserve this, and pride wants to come up on the inside of us. We talked about this back in our series on the the letters to the church, but Revelations 3.17, let me say it to you this way. It says, because you say I am rich have become wealthy, and I have need for nothing. God, I've got everything that I need, and I don't need you. Now that I've got fame, now that I have success, now that I have, God, I don't have need for you. But it goes on to say, what you do not know is that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And God was talking to a wealthy church And they had become prideful. We have to be careful that as God blesses, we don't let pride rise up in our heart and say, I did this. But we realize that it is God who gives us the ability to even earn wealth. Because he said, look, you think that you're rich, but Jesus comes back and this is his words to the church. But what you don't realize is that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Those are some harsh words, but that's God's heart towards pride. I've worked for all this. I'm entitled. Aren't y'all tired of this entitled spirit? Come on. This entitled spirit that says, oh, I, I deserve this. This is, this is my reward. This is what I, I, I've worked hard. I've done this. I should get this. I've done. No, 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 no. It's God's blessing on our life. I sow, I'm going to be faithful, but I know that God is going to pour it back into my life, and it's nothing that I can do or earn. Number two, it's this, the mindset that we have to overcome then I want to give you three types of givers, way that I feel like we overcome these. Number two is shame. So the first one is pride, but number two is this it's shame. Because some are proud of all that they have, while others are embarrassed and they feel guilty of the blessings of God that are on their life. Let me give you an example from Scripture Genesis chapter 32. It'll be on the screen. Read along with me. Then Jacob prayed. O God of my grandfather Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. Now watch this in verse 10. Watch what he says. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me Your servant, when I left home and I crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now watch what he says. Now my household fills two large camps. But notice he's like, I'm not worthy of this. And there's a lot of people that can take on almost like a poverty mentality in the church and go, God, no, I, I can't receive your blessing. I can't. But what we have to understand is that the blessing actually has nothing to do with us and what God wants to get through us. And we discussed this back in our series in June, but everything that God wants to sow into your life really isn't for you, but it's to get through you to somebody else. And what happens is if we get this distorted view of it's all for me, well, guess what? We, we, we get in a pride position or we can like, I'm not worthy of this, but we have to take the proper perspective of God, what God wants to sow in our lives. Because if you sow, guess what? You reap. You can often see a lot of these play out maybe in, in some of these ways. For example, let's say somebody says, hey, I like your shirt today. Pride would be like, oh, yes, this such and such brand. I got it from this store. You know, I paid so much for it. But shame might say this. Oh, this old thing, you know, I, I got a half price. You know, I just. Maybe I love your car. And, you know, shame would be like, yeah, you know, I could never really afford anything like this. And you go into the whole like explaining and, and you know, you try to like explain away. Why can't you just say, yep, absolutely. God is faithful. Pride would be like, Yeah, you know, it costs this amount of money. I special ordered it, and uh, you know, I like your house. Oh, yeah, we built it ourselves. Granite countertops, 5,000 square feet, five bedrooms, four bath, three car garage. You know, that's pride. Shame might say, Oh, it's nothing. You know, it's foreclosure. And we just, why can't we just go, God is good and He blessed me? God is faithful and he's taking care of me. But there's these two responses to God's blessing, and we can either get prideful, or we approach God in shame, or we come to God and we just go, God, what I realize is that all of this is from you. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for covering my family. And, it, and by the way, look, we're not just talking about wealth or finances but we're talking about health over our families. We're talking about peace in our homes. We're talking about kids that stay saved and love God and serve God and grow up in the house of God. I'm just telling you, as you sow, it's not just financial. Think God, just his blessing and favor comes over our life and he takes care of us. Come on, somebody say amen. If I'm being honest, I, I sometimes, I, not sometimes, I, I lean more towards that, that shame side of things. Because as a pastor and a preacher, you know, you're going to get judgment. You buy something, you do, and then you, I feel like, oh, I need to give an explanation. Let me just tell you, God has been good to our family. He's blessed our family. And, and, I, and I thank God for that. Shannon has an amazing, successful business that his hand has been on and has blessed her as a businesswoman. She's incredible at what she does. Outside of that, God just continues to open up opportunities for us, and he's faithful. Look, it's not me. It's God. It's God. And I'm going to walk in that, that God, you're a good God that blesses, and it's not for me, but, Lord, it's to pour back into your kingdom. So how do we deal with those mindsets? We remember why God blesses us. Listen to 2 Corinthians. Look at this on the screen with me. 2 Corinthians nine eleven. Yes, you will be enriched in how many ways? Every way. You will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Why are you blessed in every way? So you can, how much, how much of the time are you going to be generous? Always. The scripture said, yes, you will be enriched in every way. Why? That you can be generous always. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, what are they going to do? They're going to thank God. So here's how it works. God sows blessings into your life. You let them flow through you to other people. Those people then turn and they thank God and the cycle repeats itself. And this should be how it is. We come, we sow into the house of God. He blesses us. Guess what? We go out, we bless others. Those people thank God. They come into the church. Then they start doing that. And it just, this process repeats. And and instead of people looking at the church and go, the church is just always interested in take, take, take. No, what the church is interested in is blessing, blessing, blessing. Blessing our community. Taking care of those who are down and out. We want to be a church that is generous in every way. Come on, somebody say amen. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. It's not about what he can get to us, but what he can get through us. Some of you may say, you know, when I look at this, you go, well, I'm not enriched. I'm not rich in every way. Did you know that most of the population of the world, more than half of the population of the world lives off of less than $2 per day? two dollars per day. We could go to the most impoverished areas in America, and they're living on more than two dollars per day. If If we're living in this country, guess what? God has blessed us, and we can be a blessing to those around us. It's not about what we necessarily have, but what we have on us and living in us and how God wants to work through us. Genesis 12, we talked about this in June. It says, God was talking to Abraham, and he said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse you. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God was saying, I'm raising you up so you can be a blessing to all nations. And we talked about this because it was really a three-part blessing that he had on his life. It was a blessing of faith. He first received this blessing of faith that flowed through him that we now take a part of. It was a blessing of family that a nation would come from him. And then it was a blessing of finances, that finances would flow through him and he would be a blessing to others. God wants to bless us to be a blessing. So here's the question. When God blesses us with more, what's our response? Do we become intentional givers? Or do we take it and we give a little to ourselves? Look, you give a little. You know, you get the raise. What do we usually do? Uh, If a raise or promotion or something comes out, we're already thinking about the car that we can upgrade to. Don't lie. You're thinking, oh, man, some new countertops sure would look good in the kitchen. You're thinking, oh, I could upgrade this. I could upgrade this. What if we changed our mindset, and as we got blessed, we begin to say, man, who can I help now? How can I be a bigger blessing to the community that I live in now? Rather than taking that, we flip it on its head, because this is what I promise you. As you do that, God will take care of the rest. I want to show you three types of givers, three types of givers, and then we're going to talk just a little bit of vision tonight. Number one giver is this, is a spontaneous giver. So how do we, how do we overcome these mindsets? I believe we overcome these mindsets through generosity. We become a, number one, kind of the step into giving is a, a spontaneous giver, Luke chapter 10, it talks about the Good Samaritan, and the Good Samaritan is, is walking along the roadside, and he sees someone that's been beat up, and they've been left for dead, and they've been robbed and taken everything. And spontaneously, God moves on his heart. He takes that man. He puts him in an inn. He pays the innkeeper, and he says, I want you to take care of him. He saw a need, and he responded. And a lot of us, this is where we live, and we never really get past this level of giving is a spontaneous giving. You're in a service. We play a video about a missions project. Spontaneously, you go, okay, I'm going to give. But it's kind of like the entry level to giving. Now, I don't think spontaneous giving ever goes away. I think spontaneous giving is a great thing. I'm not downplaying it, but I believe and I'm going to show you that there's a further step to this. How about the, the boy with the five loaves and the fishes? He saw a need, and what did he do? He stepped up and said, hey, I've got this little lunch. I know it's not going to feed all of these people, but Jesus, you can have it. And what did Jesus do? He took the little and multiplied it into a lot. But all he did is he said, you know what? Here is what I have. So spontaneous giving is step one. Step two, or the the second type of giving, uh, is this. It's a strategic giver a strategic, a strategic giver. A strategic giver is a person who plans. They say, you know what? I'm going to plan to be generous. Listen to how Isaiah 32, eight said, but generous people plan to do what? What is generous? And then what do they do? They stand firm in their generosity. They go, you know what? I am going to plan. I'm putting a plan together to be generous. That means I've got to make margin in my budget. That means I have to set aside money to be generous with. And so they go in my budget, my monthly budget, here is my tithe. Here is my offering. And I have set it in my mind already ahead of time to be generous. But generous people plan to do what is generous. And then what do they do? When the time comes, when the enemy would be like, "Hey, don't give that. Hey, not tonight. Hey, I know you were planning on doing this, but no." Then what do they do? They stand firm in generosity. Look, strategic planning looks like this: setting up a reoccurring payment through the giving portal. It says, "I have to. I have a plan. I'm making a plan. I put it into action to be generous. It's not random, but with a strategic purpose." Being a strategic giver also causes you to be better in every area of your finances. Why? Because now you have to budget for everything in your life and you've got it all set up. It, it creates responsibility in your life to go, if I'm going to give this, I've got to be responsible with all that I have been entrusted to. In 2021 and in 2022, the Lord moved on mine and Shannon's heart to give 30% of our income. And I didn't realize that it would be that much. It wasn't like I heard a 30% number, but at the time I was traveling, I was speaking a lot. I would speak out almost, you know, once, twice a month. And I just heard the Lord say, Hey, everything that you make when you speak somewhere, give it back. And our family needed it at the time, but I just said, okay, God, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do it. And there's going to be times in our life where God asks us to do something very strategic, and we go, God, I'm not really sure how it all is going to happen or work out, but Lord, I'm going to step out in faith, and you're just going to take care of me. And what I can tell you is that I saw God take care of us time and time again, and we didn't go without, and we didn't lack, and we didn't—God took care of us. And I just promise you, if He's asking you to do something and you go, "I'm going to get very strategic with what God is asking me to do, what I could promise you is that as you sow, guess what? You're even. One of the things that I love we pastored in, in California, and uh, our, our pastor had, he had this gift of, of spontaneous giving. And if anything happened in the country, um, one of the ones that I remember specifically was when we had the real bad tornadoes in Oklahoma. And he stood on the stage and he just said, hey, I want to let you know that this last week that we sent three semi trucks of food to Oklahoma and that the people in Oklahoma are going to be taken care of. When the tsunami happened in Sri Lanka, I remember he stood on the stage and he said, hey, listen, we've got a team that's already on the ground in Sri Lanka and we have sent supplies and we are meeting a need on the ground. And there was always this spontaneous, uh, just as God spoke to him, he said, we have the resources because we've been strategic. We've left the margin that we can meet the need of our community. And I'm going to tell you, that's who we're going to be as a church. That's who we're going to be as a church, that when things happen, when tragedy strikes around the world, we'll be able to stand up and go, because we live life with margin, guess what? We're going to bless the nations. We're going to bless the people around us. We're going to bless our community. We're going to bless those in need. Why? Because we will be a generous church. And then the third level of givers is this. It's it's sacrificial givers. It's sacrificial givers, and these are, these are the crazy generous givers. And I'm not talking about you. All of a sudden, you're probably thinking in your mind, "Oh, these are people that are loaded, and they just..." No, I'm not I'm talking about sacrificial givers. In fact, let me let me show you this, because it was Jesus that was sitting in the temple, and he was watching as people were going and and dropping their money in the offering. And there were some that were dropping these large amounts, but this one lady, she came and she brought all that she had. And she put it in. What did Jesus say? She's the one. She's the one who's given the most. But it was just a coin, but she's the one. Why? Because it was given out of a place of sacrificial giving. And there's times in our life where God goes, hey, it's gonna it's gonna hurt a little. And let me let me show you this. Let me show you, Second Samuel twenty four. David was going to to make a, a a sacrifice, and God had called him to this specific place to make this sacrifice. And it's on this man's name, uh, Ara, Ara. Oh man, I shouldn't even say it. We're gonna call him A. Big A. All right, Big A is gonna be his name tonight. It said, take it to my lord, the king. And use it as you wish. And Big A said to David, here are oxen for the burnt offering and you can use the threshing boards of the oaks uh, yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you. Listen, he says, I'm gonna give it to you. But the king replied, no, I insist on buying it for I will not present a burnt offering to the Lord my God that has cost me nothing. He said, it's going to have to be a sacrifice. King Solomon, when he was being crowned king, it was customary that he offer a bull as a sacrifice. And he said, one bull is not enough. So he offered 1,000 bulls that would have cost him about $300,000. I'm sure it hurt him just a little bit but it was something that was sacrificial that he had to say, you know what, God, one is not enough. I've got to do something that is a sacrifice. I have to do something that is big. So we've got these three levels of giving that we kind of work through. We first start with the strategic giver, or I'm sorry, the, uh, not the strategic giver, the spontaneous giver. Thank you. Then we move to the strategic giver. And then we have the sacrificial giver. But again, I want to go back to what we talked about last week, and it's the heart. It's the heart that as we come to God and you go, we go, you know what? God, you know my heart. Lord, you see me. God, you, you see the sacrifice that it is. You see, Lord, how I've, I've set aside the 10th, how I've set aside the tithe, how I've been faithful to this, how I am sowing. God, I know that in return, you'll bless me. Listen, we don't give to get. We've said this every week, we're not giving to get, but what we know is that there is a biblical principle that as we sow, we'll reap, amen? Now, here's what I believe, that as a church, As we come together, as we sow, as we believe, as we give, I believe that there's greater things that we're going to do in our city, amen? You know, we live in a city of people that, and even us, at points and times, maybe this has been you in your life, that will put on a facade and pretend to have it all together, from house to car to to whatever. We We can be that church in Revelation to where we have the riches and the finite, but, but are we broke and hurt on the inside? And there's a city that's out here to reach. Come on, Restoration Church. I want you to hear me. There is a city out here to reach. There are thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people in our city, and there's, hear me when I say this, there are millions more moving to our area. It's growing. It's exploding Uh, The Baptist Convention, they did did a survey and they said that we're 2,500 churches shy in the DFW area. If we filled every church 24 hours a day with 1,000 people, we'd still need 2,500 churches. So we're starting uh, an initiative called Heart for the House. And on December the 3rd, we're going to take a a one-time offering. And this offering is going to go towards establishing us a home in the heart of this city. And what we're believing for to come in on this offering, and I'm just going to be bold and I'm going to tell you is that we're believing for $30,000 to come in in this offering. And what we believe is that it's going to strategically position us in a place with enough margin to be able to step out and get our own place. And now, yeah, come on. Why don't we give the Lord some praise because this is good stuff. This is good stuff. So tonight when you go home, I want you to look through this book, but there are some challenges that we face. Let's go to that page. It says the challenge. The challenge is this, that Sunday evenings pose difficulties for most churchgoers. If we've got, I mean, this city is full of challenges young families. In fact, we can't, our city can't keep up with the growth so much so that they're going to take our 5A high schools and turn them into 6A high schools because we can't build high schools fast enough to keep up with the growth in our area. We're made up of a city of young families. And a lot of times young families are getting ready for bed. They're getting ready for the week. And so it's a sacrifice for Sunday nights for them to be here. Some people are just like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So Sunday nights present an obstacle So what we want to do is in 2024, September of 2024, what we want to do is we want to launch into morning services. Well, we can't do that here. Obviously, you know that Hope Fellowship meets here on Sunday mornings. And so we have to have our own facility that we can launch in 2024. So the first response to that is we want to overcome, we want to make it easier for people to get into the doors of our church so we can give them Jesus, so they can receive hope, so they can receive healing, so they can receive restoration, right? So we can lift them up and welcome them in our community and come alongside of them and help them build a better life in Jesus. So we're going to move to Sunday mornings. Our student ministry has reached its capacity. If you want to come over to our house um, on a Monday night. It is hot and it is slammed and it is packed, but kids keep showing up. And we'll have on any given Monday night about 90 kids that want to pack themselves into our house. And praise God for it. Come on, it's incredible. It's incredible. I, I talk to pastors all the time. They're like, they're like, how are how are you doing this? Like I, I have no idea. I, we're not doing anything. They're just showing up. God's just doing it. And so we've outgrown that space. And what I know is that. That space is limiting us because they'll say a church will only grow to about 80% of its room capacity. So if we, our house can hold 90 people, uh, then it's not going to grow beyond that because what happens, they show up, they're uncomfortable, they're hot, and they're like, I'm not coming back. It wasn't a good experience. So if it's not a good experience for them, guess what? They say, "I'm I'm not coming back. But if we have a building where they can come in and they can be comfortable and they can spread out and the room actually gets uh, cooled down because the AC can keep up with the amount of kids that we, I'm telling you, we can double the amount of kids that we're reaching. Instead of 90, we can reach 180. We can reach 200 kids on a Monday or on a Wednesday night. We got to grow capacity. Escalating prices in real estate over the past few years have added hurdles to new church plants like ours. And in fact, I was talking to Pastor Ben, who was here earlier. It's added new hurdles to establish permanent presence in the city. As our income increases, meeting the financial responsibilities of a mortgage or rent becomes more and more challenging. So we've got two options and and two choices here. We either, A, we move into a smaller facility and then we would look to move sooner or, and this is really where we feel the leading and we're praying and and praying through and talking through with the board, or we have a for-profit side of our church, like a daycare, which... Whether we do a daycare in this next year or we do a daycare in the future, we feel called to reach the kids of the city and to create an environment where they can come in and experience the gospel and experience the love of Christ, where moms that are coming in and maybe stressed out that right there in the lobby, we can lead them to Jesus. And they were just coming to drop their kid off at, at daycare. I'm telling you, it will create ministry opportunities, but not only will it create ministry opportunities, but it'll help underwrite the mission and the vision of restoration Church. It takes the financial burden off of the bucket. It takes the financial burden off of Sunday and it helps underwrite ministry. Come on, can you see the vision? And then it helps us extend our ministry beyond just a Sunday service. We love having the women in our home on Thursday night, but honestly, many nights it's outgrown it. I definitely don't have enough parking spots in the cul-de-sac for everybody. And we need, we need a place to where women can gather. Men, if you know, if you showed up at Rudy's on Saturday or if you showed up at the men's group on Thursday morning, it's loud, it's a little chaotic. There's, I mean, it's it's not the ideal place. And what we want is a place that we call our own in the city where men, we can come together and we can be vulnerable together and we can receive ministry together. And ladies, you can get together and you can have the same thing. And, and, and youth can be there and we can have prayer meetings on a Wednesday morning and not have to worry about trying to find a space or rent out a space, but we've got a space that we come together and weekly prayer becomes a part of who we are and our DNA because it's what we value and it's who we are. So you see the challenges and you and you see our response, getting a facility. So here's here's the plan. Let's go to page two. You may have already flipped there. If you did, you're cheating. Don't cheat, all right? God is calling us to take ground at Frisco. Come on, somebody say amen. Ecclesiastes 3 said there's a time to plant and a time to build. Come on. We're planting. We're building. We're growing something. We're going to increase giving over the next year. We're going to increase it by 20,000. We're just believing that. Amen? We're going to launch a child learning center. And we're going to have something that's going to minister to the city. And we're going to prepare for the future. So we're going to do this in phases. One, we're going to increase giving. Two, if we, if Lord willing, we're going to launch a child learning center. And then three, we're preparing for the future. As we step into this building, we don't get comfortable and go, oh, no, we continue to look to the future and go, God, there's more, there's more, there's more. You can see here some of the the drawings and and concepts of, What we see the inside of the the building look like. You can see this is kind of one of your typical shopping strip malls here in the Frisco area. And we really feel like a building like this is our first step. A building like this is something that we can take a stake and we can put it right in the ground here in Frisco and we can say, I'm believing for more. I'm believing for more marriages to be restored. I'm believing for more teenagers to give their life to Christ in that building. Come on, just for a moment. Come on, right there in your seat. Can you just close your eyes? Come on, I'm in that sanctuary right now. It's a Wednesday night, there's about 200 teenagers there. And it's the end of a service. And the preacher's on the stage and he's given a gospel invitation and there's a hand 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 and there's a hand. And, there's a hand and, there's a hand. and then he says, that if you lifted your hand, I want you to make a walk down this altar and tear and young people with tears streaming down their face. Make a walk down a center aisle to an altar in a church and they give their life to Jesus. I want you to to see a, a a children's facility to where it's not just babysitting but they're lifting their hands in worship and as they lift their hands in worship the power and the presence of God falls in our children's service. And little tears begin to stream down their face why because the holy spirit has showed up and and impacted their life in an incredible way. Maybe see an office with a couple that their marriage is on the rocks and they're both holding hands, crying as God's restoring their marriage. This is what God wants to do. A center of restoration, of hope, of healing. And it's a God-sized dream that honestly is going to take a miracle. But we serve a God that's in the miracle working business. And we serve a God that helps us put he drops a dream in your heart and a plan to get there. None of this happened by—we didn't, we didn't get this far by mistake or accident. He downloaded a plan. He downloaded a vision. He downloaded steps. He downloaded phases. And here we are. And now it's time to begin to take ground into the next step. So on December 3rd, we're going to do a, a Heart for the House offering. And I promise you this. We're not going to— have we taken a special offering yet in 13 months? We haven't. Once a year, we're going to do one offering, and that offering is going to go towards either as a church moving us down the road or there may be a, a massive missions project that, that God puts on our heart, and we go, we're going to help so-and-so do this. We're going to help this church in India do this. And, and that, may be that, that may be the push for that year. But every year, we're going to come together collectively We're going to do something that moves the heart of God with our generosity.